When we start growing our YouTube channel, we look for things like better camera, better audio, better lighting, what am I gonna talk about, script writing, bullet points, how can I get ranked, how can I get views, how can I get subscribers? But the one thing we don't actually think about is something that's super critical and could actually sink our YouTube channel. And that is the legal element. So on today's episode of Cheap Talk, we're gonna dive right into the stuff that nobody really wants to discuss, but is super critical. Let's do this. Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. And welcome to another episode of Tube Talk. My name is Liron Segev. I am a tech blogger, a YouTuber, and the director of customer success here at vidIQ where every day we help creators big and small level up their channels, get more subscribers, more views in less time. Now, something that is often not spoken about in the industry is the legal element of YouTube, the legal side of doing contract work with a brand, the legal things that us creators absolutely need to know about, but we can't attend not to, very excited we got a brand deal, so we sign on the dotted line and then hoping things will go right. Well. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So today we're going to discuss all the things that you need to know to protect yourself. Now I can almost hear you rolling your eyes right as I'm saying these words, but please, this is so, so important. We have seen people come to us in tears wondering what they could do. We have seen people who have got this amazing brand deal that has just gone completely south and they're literally nothing they can do. They're just not going to get paid. Please do not let this happen to you. And this is why we're diving into a topic that is not really discussed. I don't know why it's not discussed because it absolutely should be. I have read the terms and condition has to be one of the biggest lies that we all tell <laughs> ourselves whenever we sign up for a new service or whenever we download a new app. But boy, do we click that button because we just want that information. However, when you're trying to create your online business, you're a content creator and you want to engage with brands, that's not the smartest thing to do <laughs> and just accept any legal contract that gets sent your way. So today, let's unpack a couple of the red flags that you need to be looking out for. Seth Polanski is here. He's going to dive into the red alerts, the things that you absolutely need to be aware of as you're trying to engage and grow your brand. Seth. Welcome to Tube Talk. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I teach this class many, many different conventions, and uh, it's nice to make sure that more people can hear it uh, than just people who attend conventions. You've got a great um, viewership, and I, I hope everyone can find something in here to help them. Oh, I think this is one of those must-have the, that people need to be aware of. I was blown away by the Vlog University lecture that you gave, and I thought, wow, so many people are just blissfully unaware of these things. So I suppose <laughs> let's start at the top. So who is Seth Polanski in a tweet? In a tweet? Wow. Uh, I actually would not put attorney in there. I, I make indie films with my wife and I'm an unabashed uh, role-playing gamer. And uh, I just have a terrible, terrible, terrible intellectual property habit. So that, that's really how I define myself. But uh, filmmaker and, and, and role-playing gamer with a terrible, terrible intellectual property law habit. <laughs> no, I, I expect to see that on your 
Twitter profile shortly. <laughs> <laughs> One of those things that us as content creators, you know, we're so busy trying to get out there. We're so excited when we eventually find opportunities. And a lot of us just rush like kind of headfirst into this, not realizing there's some real consequences to these documentations that their team sends us. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where do we pick up? So here's, here's a fun one. This, this is a form of contract, but it's not exactly, I suspect it's not what you thought we were going to talk about to begin with. Already a my, curveball. I like it. <laughs> my, my first red flag issue is, are you a business? Are you a company? Or are you just Joe Schmo? Really, the, the first piece of advice is form a limited liability company. If you do not have an LLC or an Inc. or an S-Corp, you are exposing yourself to the most massive amounts of risk. Um, I'm assuming you're an LLC. Of course. Yep. So for everyone listening, the reason we want to do that, LLC stands for Limited Liability Company here in the United States. And it, it literally does exactly what it says. It limits your liability as the owner of a company. So if the company does something dumb, like, oh, I don't know, include some of Disney's footage in something that they put online and the company gets sued, then the company gets sued, not you personally. Please, by, 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 by all that's holy, unholy, whatever, make sure that you have formed a business entity. Um, it, it protects you from so much personal liability. It, it exists for that reason. For that reason. Now, now does this apply if, even if you're a small creator, maybe you're just starting out, should you kind of start with the end in mind, go into this knowing that you need this protection? Well, I mean, it's a matter of money, really. It's not terribly expensive, but for some small creators, obviously, if you're young and just getting started, sure, 300 bucks and plus another three maybe for an attorney to look at it, six, six, 600 to $1,000. I mean, for me and people who've been doing this for a long time, it doesn't sound like a lot, but for some people it does. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, you know, would you rather do this now and spend this $1,000 now or spend 50000 to defend a lawsuit later? Yeah, that's a good point. And just before we carry on, I think it's fair for us to say, look, a lot of this is applies to the US. Correct. And um, you know, I'd love to hear your legal disclaimer right about <laughs> now. I just want to make sure we're above board and people don't misunderstand what we're saying. So Absolutely. So uh, there's two parts. The first part is the legal disclaimer. I am not your attorney. You should not rely on my advice to your detriment or otherwise based on anything you hear today. Um, if you really need help in this area, I'm happy to have you as a, as a client if you'd like to hire me, but please seek a, a legal professional to help you. Don't, don't try to do this on your own or just, uh, or, or Google it. Um, I, I can't tell you uh, the amount of people I've had to explain, well, I'm sorry, your Google search is not the equivalent of my law degree. So that's number one. Number two, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but I was actually general counsel of a UK company that had a headquarters in Pretoria, South Africa. Look at that. We all six, what, six degrees of separation. Exactly. So I am actually relatively familiar with uh, South African law, UK, European Union law, but primarily United States law. And quite frankly, most of this stuff carries over. It's, right. it's, it's, we all have our roots in, in British common law. And that's really where, where it all comes from. So, okay. you know, unless you're French and Napoleonic code, which is some crazy stuff there, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but um, it, it really does carry over for the most part into most uh, common law nations. Right. So, so like we were talking about an LLC, maybe in another country, it's, well, it's going to be called something slightly different, but the Correct. concept is there. So going back to the LLC thing versus being you personally responsible, 
whatever that holding mechanism is in your country, that is something that you, that's your first barrier, first layer of protection. Absolutely. And, and it's, it is, it, you know, there, there's a line in one of the Mission Impossible movies and it's, it, it's like a warm blanket. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's like this, it it lets me sleep at night. I mean, I personally, I think I own five LLCs. Right. So, and it's not for any other reason than I want to segregate my profits, profit and loss centers. And that's another thing we could, we can talk about Um, primarily for the indie movies my wife and I make, but I also have one for the law firm. She's got one for her production company and I have one for my, uh, I actually do audio work on the side. I've done audio for a bunch of films Hmm. and, uh, they're all individual profit and loss centers and all of the risk associated with each one of those businesses is siloed into that right. business. So if something happens with one of those LLCs, it's not going to bring down all the other businesses that I'm involved in and it's not going to bring down me personally. It's that one layer of protection removed from you personally and right. that's, that's, that's key here. So as you're kind of starting out and we're all thinking of our journey and maybe at the beginning it doesn't seem so important but as soon as there's some financial transactions and as soon as you're involved with brands and other companies, other YouTubers, collaboration, all of those things, well, is it you personally doing the deal or is it your business doing the deal? And that's the differentiation between them. You know, you want your business to get sued when, when something happens, not you, you know, you don't want to have your, your own name on that, on that subpoena. That would be awful. Ideally don't want to get sued at all. (laughs) If you you would, you want then that entity to get sued, not you personally. Well, and there, you know, there's, there's another little piece of tidbit of advice I can offer. Real businesses get, get cease and desist letters. Real businesses get threatening letters. Real businesses get sued. Don't let that freak you out. Don't lose your head. You know, call an attorney, but don't real businesses have to deal with this every day. Right. So just don't don't lose your mind if that happens to you. If you're protected, if you're set up in a certain form, which is this LLC that we're talking about, you're already getting you're setting yourself up for success as opposed to then having you in the mix of all of this drama. Exactly. That that's exactly right. All right. I, I can't recommend it enough. That's, uh, it's the key to, to, it's the basis of anything. Whenever anybody comes to me and says, I yeah. want to start a business, I explain to them, here's why you need to be an entity. Yes. And, and that was in all my businesses around the world, that is literally <laughs> the first thing that I would do is find a place to house this thing. Yep. This crazy idea. It's got to live some way. I don't want to live in my back pocket because then everything goes back down to me. Well, and speaking of living, you know, there, there's, we could, we could go down this rabbit, we could talk about this one all day, but there's a little rabbit, a tiny rabbit hole to go down here. And if you are an international business and you don't really need to be a wealthy person to be an international business, I mean, I could start up an LLC in South Africa and start up an LLC in, in the UK if I wanted to, right? right? Anybody could, but there are tax consequences and that's right. something that creatives in a lot of ways want to create. Right? They don't want to think about the tax consequences of where they set up their limited liability company. Come on. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> hey, I want to be a content creator. So right. the first thing I'm going to do is figure out the tax consequences of where I set up my LLC. Yep. Yeah. That, that sentence doesn't happen often. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's something that realistic people have to think about. And if I can save you three or four steps, you know, maybe your first company won't fail. Maybe your first company right. will have succeeded because, and, and again, I say maybe your first company won't fail. If your first company fails, well, you're in great, you are in great company. Lots of people's first company failed. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right. So now that we've sufficiently scared everybody <laughs> and uh, people are scrambling to go Google how to set up an LLC, uh, what is uh, red flag number two? Red flag number two is draft an operating agreement or memorandum of understanding or charter, whatever it is. Make sure that you have some document that explains to you and your partners mm. how you're going to run this business. Uh, you know, I've seen okay. so many, I've had multiple clients come in, their partnership, there's two, three, four of them. They never formalized how they're going to run their business. They might've done the right thing and formed an LLC, right? Right. But they just did the bare minimum. They never did an operating agreement. Well, okay. What happens if somebody was stealing from the company? What happens if somebody has a drug addiction problem or gets committed or God forbid, you know, dies? Right. How does, what, what then? And this document is the document that will save you untold amounts of, of stress and strife and sleepless nights. You want to make sure that you explain to all the people who are going into business with you what it is that you're going to do, how you're right. going to do it, and how somebody either gets kicked out, bought out, or brought in. Okay, the last part is super important. So yep. before we get to that bit, <laughs> um, remember, guys, that when you have a YouTube channel, if, if this is our focus, you will work with partners at a point, whether it's going to be an outsourced agreement for your thumbnails or somebody's going to do your analytics or somebody's going to do your um, editing. All of those are entities, are bits and pieces that make up your whole, make up your YouTube channel, make up your part of your business. Well, if it's a business, it's got to be treated as such. People have responsibilities, have duties, and you have to outline them some way this osmosis thing that we think this person's going to do that. <laughs> um, the, the part that people usually forget is that maybe there's an email going back and forth saying, you'll do X, I'll do Y. And, and, and that's better than no email. But an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, is, doesn't have to be complicated. It just right. has to be the thing that you guys all agree to. Is that, is exactly. That, right? that is absolutely correct. I mean, in the, in the absence of a formal operating agreement, if there's a litigation or a, or a contested issue, you know, the, the court or the arbiter will actually look at the background documents. What do they say? Mm -hmm. What do people actually agree to? I mean, I teach a contract specific, specific course. And one of the things I do teach is, you know, your quote or your email will become your contract if you have <laughs> offer acceptance, mutually reciprocal inducement, and a meeting of the minds. If you have those four things, you got a contract. And guess what? That email you sent is your contract. Is contract. <laughs> Even though it says nothing about payment terms, it says nothing about delivery dates, it says <laughs> nothing about you know, indemnification, none of those things, it's your contract. <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole thing. We're so quick with this email. Like, yes, no, reply. It just all of those bits and pieces all add up. Um, I did some consulting work for a company and I was kind of horrified to find that a lot of the C-level executives didn't write their own emails. Mm -hmm. And the reason for it is because somebody got sued. He was, he was unfocused. He replied to a client who asked him a question and he replied back with a yes. Turned out <laughs> it was the wrong thing to say and, and, they, and they were sued. So now their view is if somebody else is typing my emails, I have got to dictate a response. I have to think about it. So it sounds weird that in 2020, you have this kind of thing. But no, it's great. That's it. exactly right. That is exactly the, the, the primary issue I wanted to talk about in this area. The, you know, not only is it a division of labor and, and whatever, but it's also authority. What happens if your partner goes out and opens a $20,000 line of credit without your permission? What happens if they, you know, 
What happens if they buy a $30,000 camera without telling you? Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you, who, yeah. who has authority to sign contracts? Who has authority to bind the company? What is the threshold dollar amount for when one of the members of the LLC can go out and petty cash buy something, right? Right, before needing approval. Yeah, it's, it's this particular area is something I have to um, fix relatively often. Right. Because the partners just, they, they, they got involved with friends because it was a bunch of friends who made some interesting videos or, or did whatever it was they were doing. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea that they were starting a business. Yeah, and then kind of you blink and money starts coming in and now and going out <laughs> and well and then going out very very quickly. So yep. Well, the, the second part of that that you said, which I think is just super critical and people don't think about at all, it's it's all good when it's going well. Yep. What about when it's not? So how do we buy out a partner? How do we like? What are the rules of bringing in another investor or another partner? What are those things? Should they be part of this MOU? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I think you might have picked up that, that statement from my class, which was, you know, nobody looks at this thing when everything's going well. <laughs> yes. the, what a contract really is, and this operating agreement is a type of contract or MOU. It, it's a type. Um, nobody looks at a contract when everything's going well. It's only when things go wrong that, that everybody scurries around, tries right. to find a copy of the document and to read it. You know, what contracts really are in a nutshell are the rules for what happens when things go wrong. Yep, absolutely. And, and, and as long as things are going well, nobody's going to look at it. But when, you know, something questionable pops up, everybody quick scurries and looks at the document to see what it says about X, Y, or Z. Particularly, how do I get rid of a troublesome partner? Right. And how do I bring on new partners? Or what happens if someone is um, committing fraud against the company, stealing from it or supporting opportunities or doing whatever. Um, That's a big deal, actually, particularly in this in in this community. You know, you if you get involved in a business with somebody, you want to make sure that their livelihood is this business, that they don't get opportunities and take them for themselves, not the business. Yeah, because it's it's so easy and so tempting to do. Right. Especially if you're the business person, especially if you're on the front line and you're the networker, do you have a contract and an obligation to bring all that business that you've picked up at an event and funnel it back into the business that sent you to that exactly. event? Exactly. We have seen this time and time again. Don't let this happen to you. I mean, if you think about a contract, <laughs> it's and, and people kind of think that, yeah, it's never going to happen to me, etc. Think about marriages and divorces. Mm-hmm. You have a piece of paper that hopefully you'll never use. It's in a safe somewhere. But boy, when something goes wrong, everybody looks for that piece of paper very, very quickly. It's like a warm blanket, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, we, so, so far, we've managed to scare half the population into not having an LLC <laughs> or having an LLC. We have then told them that the operating agreement between them and their partners is based on some loose WhatsApp message or a text message. They better go fix that as well. God, I, I, I'm, I'm not worried about asking you for number three now. Well, number three is, is the bread and butter. Number three is, is contracts. No handshake deals, people. Signed contracts. We live in a day and age where I have all of the knowledge of humanity on my mobile device, on, on a tablet, on whatever. I, I can take a picture of it. By the way, PDFs are perfectly uh, pictures. PDFs made from pictures are perfectly admissible in court. So wow. take a picture of the signature page, send it to your attorney or your business person, say, all right, there's the sig page sign, assemble the PDF and put it in the file. So there is no excuse. You have to make it your, your uh, policy. Do not deviate from it. No handshake deals. You got to have contracts. 
Um, that yeah. is my bread and butter. I mean, I, I deal in that every single day. I draft contracts for people. I, I negotiate contracts for people and I fix them when they're broken if I can. Wow. Uh, I can imagine what comes across your desks. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, you probably could. It, it's got to be pretty scary. I mean, we all do this. It's, we're all having a good time. We're hanging out. We all said, hey, we should all do this. And we agree. And, that's, you know, and three, four days later, if it's not written down, well, odds are pretty good that things are not going to be exactly as everybody remembers, especially when there's a lot, several people involved in this conversation. All of those details start coming out when you start drafting things into a written form. Mm-hmm. And that's when the de- you flesh out the details. Then you make sure everyone's on the same page. And boy, make sure everybody signs the document. We have seen a lot of one-sided signatures. So, you know, somebody sends you a contract, you agree, you, you sign your side, but you never bother to follow up for them to get their side of it signed. What happens in that case? Well, guess what? They could say, oh, well, I never signed it. So it's, you don't really have a contract. Now, the argument there, of course, is, look, if, if, if there was a meeting of the minds, there was offer, there was acceptance, and the acceptance was, was probably pretty unambiguous if you started performing on the contract, mm-hmm. you probably have a contract whether they signed it or not. Now, that said, you, know, you, you, shouldn't, you should not perform on a contract without a signed signature block. Um, I, I see it every day. I get, I literally ask one of my clients, all right, well, send me the contract. And they send me a word document with no signatures on it. Right. Okay. So well, we, that was the last negotiated. That was, we agreed to that one. Well, okay. Cool. You know, it, great. You could spend $10,000 to have to go into court and prove that that was the last one. We look at your email chains, we look at your text chains. We look mm-hmm. at all these other things. Okay, great. You've spent $10,000 to prove to the court that you have a contract when all you really had to do was get a damn signature. Don't be lazy, people. Just get a signature. In South Africa, we had to initial all the pages of the document and then sign the last document. What's the rule in the U.S. as far as initialing all the pages and then? But you don't have to initial. You don't have to initial all the pages in the U.S. You don't have to get it notarized. You just need a signature that is reasonably um, can be proven to be the, the signature of the other party. Okay. Cool. Now we so do include a clause, by the way, in all of these contracts. Well, I do anyway, and good attorneys do. That says, you know, I am the person signing this contract. I, I, I certify that I have the authority and the mm. company understands the company that I'm signing for understands that I'm signing this contract on their behalf. So you want to make sure that that clause is in there. Otherwise, you know, you get some idiot secretary or right. somebody who's a production assistant signing a contract who should never be signing a contract. And again, you could always argue it. I mean, you can always kind of show that this was the intention, et cetera, but then yep. you're spending money. Yeah. as opposed to just doing it right the first time and just protecting everybody that's involved in this. So that one wasn't too bad. I mean, <laughs> like, we, we're talking me off the ledge now. Good. All Good. right. So this is number four. Number four. All right. Number four is, is uh, you know, one of the ways that I uh, amuse myself online. Uh, you guys misunderstand intellectual property particularly fair use. So it's, oh, it's, yes. it's a misunderstanding of how intellectual property works, how licensing works with regard to that intellectual property and what you may and may not use fairly. There's, there was three issues in one ball of stuff. Okay. Well, well let, let's unpack that stuff first. <laughs> My understanding is for, for something to be fair use, it's got to meet certain criteria. Oh, so we're just going to dive right into fair use. Oh, talk about intellectual property. <laughs> no, no. Intellectual property will come next. But the amount of people who say, oh, don't worry, it's okay, fair use. I, I want to tackle that one first, and then we'll go to intellectual property. 
So first things, uh, since this is a, an international audience, fair use is not a thing everywhere in the world. So be really careful when you start talking about fair use. Oh, wow. There are, there are, plenty, there are several countries in the world, and I'm not going to get into which ones do in general sure. because it shifts and changes. But uh, fair use isn't a thing everywhere in the world. So don't assume that just because you understand what fair use, or you think you understand what fair use is in the United States, that it's going to apply everywhere. So that's the first one. Okay. Um, the second one is, look, courts take an incredibly narrow, an incredibly narrow um, view of what is fair. And it's always going to be interpreted in the most conservative manner. Just because you slapped a filter on a, you know, a painting of a stormtrooper pointing its finger at you saying, I want you for the Imperial Navy, does not mean that that's a fair use of Disney's intellectual property. Okay. Just because Disney, you know, just because you didn't get a cease and desist from Disney doesn't mean you are not exposing yourself to, to risk. Wow. Okay. Heads up. So yes. there's, a, there's a whole, there's a four-pronged test for what, uh, whether use is fair. has to deal with, you know, how much did you take? What is the use for which you're taking it? Um, and by the way, commercial uses can still be fair. You know, think about um, Spaceballs. I can okay. make a movie and sell that movie because I am parodying Star Wars and yes, Star Trek and, yes. and all these other things. So you're saying there was four prongs, four things we've got to we've Yeah, got to so at. there's commerciality, um, the amount and the extent of the, of the stuff you take. Did you take, you know, the heart of something? Did you take a bunch of it or did you just take a couple of little pieces? There's also a prong of the test that deals with... So there's also a piece that deals with the effect on the market. For example, no one is going to walk into a supermarket looking for some soup and walk out with Andy Warhol's Campbell soup cans, right? It, it, there's no effect. There's no market effect on that use. So that's another, another way we, we check to see if a use is fair. Now, the, the most common ways that, that we figure out whether use is fair or not, there's an educational exception, a parody and satire exception, and a news-based exception, okay? Mm-hmm. So parody and satire, obviously, the Weird Al, Spaceballs, that right. stuff is all fair use. News, obviously, because... I can't, you know, if there's an explosion, the news can't go and get every single person whose car might be in that shot or who might right. be walking by on the street, a news-based exception. And there's an educational-based exception. If I am teaching you either remotely or in person, I can use pieces of other people's intellectual property to teach you about that intellectual property. All right. Okay. That's why documentaries work, documentary right. films. Okay. I don't need to go get Disney's permission to do a documentary on Disney. They're, gonna, they're probably going to sue me anyway. anyway. <laughs> but... You know, if I'm, if I'm smart, I bought a rider on my insurance policy to defend myself against a lawsuit by a frivolous lawsuit by Disney. Well, Disney, by the way, we keep on mentioning Disney because they're known <laughs> to be the first to jump at any opportunities. So, well, and now that they're the, the Marvel Disney conglomerate, you right. know, that's most of the intellectual property infringement I see at pop culture conventions yes. is that. And surprisingly nowadays, BBC, I'm curious to see if the BBC, well, anime too, there's a couple of. Um, Asian companies that really should be enforcing things. But uh, it's funny. I walked by a glass shop at a convention a couple of months ago and they had, they would etch glasses for the people who were at the convention. Right. So I, I would be surprised if they had a BBC license, a Disney license, a uh, DC license, a ha- Warner Brothers license, a Hasbro license, because they were selling stuff with all of those all images. Of those, yeah. And absolutely. I can guarantee you this, co- this small mom and pop shop did not have a license to do that. That's yep. complete and utter infringement. Can I take a Taylor Swift song and create my own version of that? Then things are just not so clear anymore. 
And that's that last statement, that last sentence is exactly it. The, if you take nothing away from this part of the conversation, it is fair use is always a question of law. There's never a clear cut. Whenever, whenever anyone says to you, I have a right to fair use, you know, they're full of crap. There's right. no such thing as a right to fair use. What you have is an exception to someone's absolute right to control their, their, their intellectual property. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you can always, 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 always be dragged into court and forced to prove that your use is fair. And that's usually a losing prospect because if you're a small business, right. great, you've spent $20,000 to have a court decide this use is fair. Go ahead. Where are you going to get that $20,000 back? You're not. You just blew it. It's gone. Well, and especially when he's trying to make you $300 AdSense on YouTube. Exactly. You know, what's the point of this whole, of this whole thing? Um, yeah, just and, so on fair use, who's the onus are, is on who on me? Um, oh yeah, the onus issue? is on the user, the, the person Correct. claiming the use is fair to prove that the use is fair. So the company Disney does not have to prove that they own. You have to prove that the use is fair. Well, I mean, they also have to prove they own, of but course. they do that by sh- submitting to YouTube a copy of the, of the trademark filing or the copyright filing. Yep. Well, let me talk about one other thing before we move sure, back cool. away from fair use. Um, the way that this is applicable to content creators is that um, I see people use clips of, of stock footage, music, background music, whatever. And I know those things aren't licensed. Like I, you know, I recognize songs every now and again. I'm, and confident beyond doubt that this person did not license a Rush song for their, for their you know, content. They did not license a you know, Nine Inch Nails song or a Lady Gaga song. Sorry, Rush. you didn't do that. Odds are good if you're flying under the radar, nothing's going to happen to you, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is once you start to grow your business, and hopefully that's what you're trying to do, you are no longer going to be flying under the radar. And that, that, that strategy is not going to work. And quite frankly, it's going to hurt you. Because if you're trying to get a distribution deal, let's say you're working in traditional media, right? You want something to go on Netflix or Amazon or YouTube or, or sorry, um, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, whatever. Mm-hmm. Your distributor is going to make you sign a contract that says you have properly licensed or own every single thing in that piece of content. And they're going to require you to go out and get um, errors and omissions insurance. Yes, yes, yes. So here's how that works. (laughs) If you lie, not Mm -hmm. only are you in breach of your contract with your distributor, but you've committed insurance fraud. Fraud. If if you've actually told your, your distribution company and your errors and omissions insurance vendor that all the stuff you've included in your content is your own and properly licensed, if that's not true, then you have breached your distribution contract and you have committed uh, insurance fraud. All right. Yeah. Can we not talk about intellectual property? <laughs> All right. So let's, let's just take a step back. We'll talk about intellectual property writ large. It, it is, it's just like any other property, except it is a, a property of the mind. It's something you create. Okay. Uh, you can't patent an idea, but you can trademark the expression or, or copyright the expression of that idea. Okay. We're not going to talk about patents because yeah. no one here cares. It's not what, we're, what we do. Trademarks and copyrights are really where we live. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're talking about fair use, it would be a fair use uh, exception to use someone else's copyright or trademark. And here is the best way to understand copyright and trademark in, in 30 seconds. Think about what the words mean. Copyright. It is the right to make copies of something. If you have the copyright, you and only you have the right to make copies of it or to authorize someone else to make copies of it. That's, that's copyright in one little blurb. Trademark is exactly what the words say as well. It is the mark of your trade. The Nike swoosh is, is a mark of the trade. You know, and I'll, I'll give you the little blurb that I do when I teach my class. That This stuff goes back to ancient Roman times. They, you know, really good blacksmiths would put their mark on a sword so you knew it was a good sword. 
It's, it's been around forever. Right. So it's not just a modern invention. It's, it's, it's been around for centuries. If you take only one thing away from this section, it is be really careful about using other people's intellectual property in your content. Yep, you know, unless, and it never hurts to reach out and ask for permission. You can, people do it all the time. Remember we talked earlier about an email being a contract it, right. in the absence of a formal document. If, if an IP owner gives you permission over email and says, yeah, go ahead and use that. Well, guess what? You got a contract and Perfect. you can hold that up if they ever try to sue or whatever. So it costs you nothing. Um, yeah, you'll get on their radar, but you know what? If they were going to have a problem with it, better they have a problem now than you invest tens of thousands of dollars in your Absolutely. content. Well, let's, the last little bit on intellectual property is the good news for you guys is that um, you only have to file for copyright protection if someone's infringing and you want to protect it. The copyright vests with you the moment you create it. The moment you create something and fix it in a tangible medium that can be seen or heard, then guess what? You own that copyright. It's yours. No one else. It's no one else's. Um, I hope you have a, an operating agreement because if the company splits up, which of the three of you own it? But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Yeah, good one to know. Right. But that's the good news. The good news is you really don't have to do anything to have a copyright. All you have to do is create it and prove that you created it. Time, date, stamps on files, things like that. However, if you want to sue somebody, if you want to litigate, you're going to have to go and file it. And there's a time, there's a clock that runs on that in the United States. And it's 60 days from the, uh, you have to file within 60 days of known or should have known of the infringement. Oh, wow. There is thoughtful news with number five. These are the things, this is going to be the touchy-feely topic that people don't always think about, but it would make my job easier and it will make your jobs easier as content creators. Family and friend buy-in, okay? I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had to deal with, well, my wife is divorcing me because of this company. Um, and guess what? I don't have a prenup and I never had her sign the agreement saying she can't force the sale of the company. Or, you know, mm. you want to make sure that if you're going to launch this business, number one, your family understands what you're doing and supports you. If, if you're going to try to launch a business without the support of your spouse, uh, you probably won't have that business or that spouse for very long. Ouch. Okay. Uh, it's true. It's it, a reality. Yep. Yeah. So if, if your spouse does not buy in, then this business is, it, you're making it orders of magnitude harder than it needs to be. It's not really something you'd expect a lawyer to talk about, but behind the scenes, there's, whenever somebody comes to me, it's either a contracts issue or a, a real serious business issue. And the real serious business issues are either financial or um, interpersonal. Wow. You know, the, the company, the people can't work together. They just hate each other or there's mm -hmm. some outside influence or somebody's stealing from the company or we just don't have enough money. So it's, you know, it's either contract stuff or those, those things. And wow. yeah, like I said, you don't really expect an attorney to talk to you about this, but if you can nip this stuff in the bud or acknowledge that it might be an issue and face those issues before you start your company, then you're, you're a long, you're another two or three steps towards success than you might not otherwise have been. Yeah, but I feel like that's the kind of the common theme throughout this conversation is about being pro <laughs> proactive. Got this to... is the benefit of my 20 years of experience. I mean, you know, I didn't know this stuff coming out of law school. It's mm -hmm. taken me, you know, my time as an attorney to understand that these are the top five issues that are going to sink your business. Well, and now you've shared them so openly with us. If people want to get more information, what's the, be <laughs> what's the best way to do this? All right. So there's multiple ways. Um, I'm, I'm available on Seth Polanski uh, on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, you name it. The law firm is Foundry General Counsels. So foundrygc.com, F-O-U-N-D-R-Y-G-C.com. 
Um, live stream every Thursday night, Coven MTG, C-O-V-E-N-M-T-G. It is me and several women. And the point there is we need more women in the hobby. Yes. We need more women in role-playing. We need more women doing everything. So, sure. you know, it's, it is a uh, inclusive space where we bring in, um, you know, local uh, women who like to play Magic the Gathering with us. So those are the multiple places you can reach out and find me. Thank you very much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope uh, everyone listening got something useful out of it. Absolutely. And for the rest of you still listening, please make sure you share this episode with at least one other content creator that needs to be aware of terms and conditions. Somebody needs to read those things. Get yourself an MOU. Get yourself a contract. Get your business, your YouTube business established the right way and read everything and understand everything. And sometimes spending a little bit of money up front can save you a lot of money down the road when you don't have to defend something in court. Thanks for hanging out again on another episode of Tube Talk. Don't forget to review this episode and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for hanging out. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by vidIQ. Head over to vidIQ.com slash Tube Talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.